Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently written his first book, which is titled, What to Do with Worry, Why Playing God Never Works. You can find Olin's book on ChristianFocus.com and Amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. So Philippians chapter 4, we'll start in verse 6. I think this may be either the most famous or, to me, the most practically helpful passage in worry. Only worry in the whole Bible. So Philippians 4, start in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Just a side note, parenthetical reference here. Notice that there is no exceptions clause. Right? It does not say... Be anxious for nothing except if you're sick of being single and you're not married yet. Be anxious for nothing except if you're a Christian minister and your kid hasn't come to Christ yet. Right? There's no exception clauses. Whatever it is you are worried about, I love you, it doesn't count. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise... Dwell on these things. Now, um, I want to talk about the sin of worry, sometimes called anxiety in the Bible, sometimes called fretting. That can be another word. Okay, it's, all, it's, it's all the similar concept. And before I do, by way of introduction, let me say this. There is a legitimate uh, concept of concern. There's a healthy biblical way to be concerned. And sometimes, we're doing a Greek study here, we're not going to do it. The same word can be translated either about a healthy type of concern or it can be translated to mean a sinful type of worry. So the context matters some. The Lord Jesus Christ, obviously we know, He was tempted in every way that we are and yet He never sinned. So think about Him in the Garden of Gethsemane with His three disciples. He said, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. It's like whatever level of negative emotions that you can experience and not cross into sin, sorrow, despair, overwhelming sense of concern. Jesus went there, right? Probably more than once, but he certainly went there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Almost certainly he went there on the cross when he cried out, uh, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And yet he never crossed the line into sin. So I say that to say, there, there are healthy ways to say, one of the examples I just used, God, I've got a son or a daughter who's not a believer, and I believe in the doctrine of eternal punishment. That's uh, terrifying. I'm concerned. Uh, I've got a good friend that's got stage four cancer, and they're sick and they're suffering, and oh yeah, he's a husband and he has little kids, and what's going to happen if he dies? I'm concerned. Right? There's a biblical way. Weep with those that weep is a biblical command. So that Paul wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, there's a right, healthy, godly way to be concerned. But when you cross into worry, that's when you're in sin. Now, at some level we have to define, 
How do I know when I've left a healthy sense of concern and I've crossed into a sinful type of worry? And, and we could probably say more about it here, I think, is the most helpful thing to say. When you start to feel that the burden is on my back for results, that's when you've crossed the line into sinful worry. It's all up to me. If I don't come through, there's no hope. I've got to put the team on my back and make this work. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. No, when there's a healthy concern, but you're begging God, God, have mercy on my child. Save him. God, have mercy on my friend. Heal him. God, have mercy on our economy and, and, and help my finances. Right? There's too much month left at the end of the money. It's healthy because you're concerned. You're taking it serious. But you're not freaking out. You're not panicking. And... Here's the mindset. I'm going to do my best to be faithful with the gifts God's given me. My brain, my body, my money, my time, my energy. I'm, I'm doing my best to play my part and to be faithful. But God, I realize my part is the minor part. And your part is the major part. My part is to be faithful. My part is to obey. Your part is to guarantee results. I can't guarantee what's going to happen one second from now in this room much less what's going to happen all around the world, right? So God's in charge. As long as I let God carry the heavy burden, that's healthy concern. When I let that heavy burden slip onto my back, I have slipped into sinful worry. So Paul says, do not worry about anything. I think that's the NIV. Be anxious for nothing. <clears throat> Nature hates a vacuum. So when there is something hard going on in your life, a non-Christian child, a friend that's dying from cancer. Your money is tight and squeezed, and oh yeah, you just found out you're actually getting a pay decrease next year. And it's like, we're already struggling right now, and I'm actually going to make less money next year. Right? Panic can ensue. If I just say, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, how's that working out for you? Right? The stop it method. I don't know if any of y'all have seen the old Bob Newhart skit off of Saturday Night Live. Um that kind of pokes fun at the worst kinds of counseling. And, and let me just say this. There are some forms of so-called biblical counseling that sound a lot like Bob Newhart sometimes. What are you doing? You're sinning? Stop it. Just stop. It's, it's just it's behavior modification. It's just willpower. Just memorize a verse and stop. What's your problem? You know? That's not a good version of counseling. Nature hates that, right? Y'all have heard this illustration before. If I say... Whatever you do for the next one minute, do not think about purple elephants. Well, now you're like, I've never thought about a purple elephant before in my whole life. That's weird. But now I am thinking about a purple elephant. Because... So it can't just be stop. It has to be stop the bad, positively do the good, start the good. Put off the old man, put on the new. Kill the old man, the flesh, put to death the sinful desires of the body. And, you know, we, we heard, probably most of us have heard the phrase mortification. But we also need to be bringing to life the new desires, fanning them into flame. So what's the opposite of worry? It's prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. And if, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. This is maybe maybe the one most practical, helpful thing that I think I've seen in my personal struggle with worry. Here's my personal definition of worry. Worry is a conversation that you have with yourself about something you can't do anything about. Does that make sense? 
So imagine a college student that has done their best to study for a final, but it's the hardest class they got. Physics, philosophy, theater, whatever it is, the class that they hate, they're never good at. They've been working hard. They've been studying hard. Now it's time to take the final. And there are no exceptions. The professor's like, be here on time. You got one hour, finish this test. And the student's been struggling. He's like, I got to make a certain grade. He's done his due diligence, but he's walking to the class and he feels the burden on his back up. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know what else to do. I'm pan- He's panicking. He's worrying. Because what he- he's having a conversation in his mind saying, I've tried my best, but it doesn't feel like enough. My best doesn't feel good enough. You ever felt that way? And I feel like I'm about to get crushed by the weight of this responsibility. And it's like a little rat on the wheel just running around and it's not working. You're you're making no progress. You're going nowhere. You're wasting your time. Guys, one of the reasons that I love the Bible is it's so practical. Do you remember when Jesus said, Do not worry about it, you know, do not worry about tomorrow. (laughs) Today has enough trouble of its own. It's just so practical. Part of what he's saying there is, a lot of times what we worry about are hypotheticals that might never happen. How much time and energy have we spent time worrying about some hypothetical, and then the day comes and it passes, and there was nothing that happened. It never even happened, but it's like, I spent four hours worrying about what was going to happen if I flunked that test. And then you didn't flunk the test, but you've already wasted all that time and energy, and you probably have an ulcer to go with it. Another thing Jesus says is so practical is when he says, um, who by worrying can add one cubit to your life? Nobody. When I was younger, my dad used to have this phrase. If I went to my dad and said, hey, dad, you know, I want to buy a new video game or something. You know, I want a new video game. Will you buy it for me? He said, nope, I'm not buying that for you. But if you want to buy it with your own money, you can. And I might be like, well, I don't have enough money to buy it, dad. And he said, well, you could save, you could, Get some jobs. I'll give you some jobs. You can go work. You can save some money, and you can buy the video game then. And I remember sometimes I say, I don't want to have to work. I don't want to have to wait. I just want the game now. And my dad had this phrase that literally when he used to say it to me, I didn't even understand it at first. It took me a while to figure it out. He would say, well, here's what I want you to do. Want in this hand and spit in this hand and see what one fills up first. And at first I'm like, I don't even know what that means to want in this hand and spit in this hand. That just sounds gross. But then after he said it probably to me 500 times, I finally figured it out. If I literally started spitting in my left hand right now, it would be very disgusting. But eventually, my hand would be filled with spit. It would accomplish something. There would be some measurable fruit from me just spitting, right? Whereas if I just sat here with my right hand and said, I want a new video game. I want a new video game. Nothing would happen. It produces nothing. That's essentially what Jesus is saying with worry. When you're like, I'm so worried about this. I'm so worried about this. Guys, it's not just that it's sinful. So this is even if a non-Christian listens to this later. Worry's just stupid. It doesn't work. It just goes is nowhere. That on page four. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> if it's chapter, not, it should be, right? Four. Yeah. <laughs> Worry is dumb, right? It, literally, it's like being on a treadmill, running as hard and as fast as you can, and thinking, I'm gonna get there eventually. No, you're not. You're not going anywhere. You're standing still but expending great effort and energy and sweating like a hog and going nowhere. You're just wearing yourself out. You're hurting yourself. So, all that to say, my personal definition of worry. Worry is having a conversation with yourself about something you can't do anything about. You've already exhausted all your responsibilities of faithfulness. Nothing left you can do, and now you're just panicking. 
What's prayer in this context? Prayer is a conversation with God about something He can do everything about. Right? If we believe that God is all-powerful, He's all-wise, He's sovereign, He's in control, He made everything, He sustains everything. So guys, here, here, here is the really practical key. And it really can be, to some degree, can feel like at times a magic bullet fighting worry. I'm not saying it's the whole thing, but, but it can be a game changer in life. Quit having a conversation with yourself. Start having a conversation with God. Just bring God into the conversation. Does that make sense? So let me give you a really practical example that I have experienced before, and I bet some of you have. There have been years where about this time of year, where we at? December the 15th, uh, gets close to the end of the year, and my support account is not looking good. I'm already in a deficit. And a lot of my annual donors maybe have already given in October or November. So it's not like they're coming through in December. They've already given. And I've been, I've been being faithful. I feel like I've been working hard. I've been praying. I've been talking to the Lord about it. I've been making phone calls. I've been meeting with people. I've been sending out newsletters. I've been, doing, I've been trying to network. Hey, do you know anybody? Thank you that you're already on my support team. Would you like to increase that support? Or do you know anybody that might like to join my team? Not really. No to both. <laughs> or I'll get back to you. Don't call me. I'll call you. And I'm like, it's not going good. And I'm starting to worry. I'm starting to feel the weight of... I'm a minister, I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a daddy, I'm in charge of providing for this family, things are tight, and it looks like it might get tighter starting January 1 because I don't have any money coming in. And I've been floated a little bit, but the floating is about to come to an end. What am I going to do? And my wife can tell, and I love my wife, she has 100 gifts I don't have, but she can tend to struggle with worry sometimes bigger and harder than I do. So she can kind of sense, she can read me, what's going on, she asks me. I'm honest, and then sometimes I regret my honesty a little bit because now she's worrying with me, which really doesn't help. What are we going to do? And she, and there can be times where I'm trying to go to sleep at night. And usually if I'm trying to go to sleep at night and I'm having a hard time falling asleep, it either means I drank too much caffeine late in the day or I'm worried about something. And there have literally been times, guys, where I'm laying in bed at night, late December. I'm thinking, I'm wrestling but really, I'm just worrying. I'm having a conversation with myself. What am I going to do? I feel like I've already done everything. I don't know. The money's not going to come in. What does this mean? Am I going to have to leave? And, and sometimes I'm sweating. Sometimes it's almost like you can feel the weight on your shoulders, your chest. You ever been there about something? It's like this just feels heavy. And then this verse will come to my mind, which I've had memorized, I don't know, probably since high school. And I'll say, wait a second. God makes a promise here. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds of Christ Jesus. What is worry? Worry is a conversation you have with yourself about something you can't do anything about. What is prayer? Prayer is a conversation with God about something He can do everything about. What's the solution to worry? Bring God in the conversation. Turn worry into prayer. Turn panic into prayer. You start praying. So I just start saying, Lord... I'm not sinlessly perfect, but I feel like I've been faithful. I've been working hard. I, and I start praying. Now, I wish I could tell you after I pray for three seconds, all the worry goes away. I have a great sound night of sleep. 
nine hours. I wake up the next morning and I'm as chipper as I can be. And there's a check in the mailbox for $10,000, right? I can't tell you that. But here's what I can tell you. If I am faithful to persevere in praying, and sometimes I might have to pray for a half hour or an hour or longer, at some point, peace comes. But guys, if this isn't true, the Bible's not true. That's a promise, right? Just like there's no exceptions clause, be anxious for nothing except blank, there's no exceptions clause in verse 7. If you persevere... Guys, listen, some of you are going to say, no, no, I tried it one time, it didn't work. Well, you didn't try long enough. You didn't try hard enough. Because if you will persevere in prayer, I'm praying, God, I'm asking you to help me. I'm asking you to raise the support. I'm asking you to give me peace. And and guys, there there is a humble, aggressive way to pray. Do you realize that? Hey, God, you told me in your word you would give me peace. Now, there's a sinful, arrogant, demanding way. Hey, God, you owe me peace. No, he didn't. The only thing that we're owed is hell. Don't don't come in trying to plead your merit before God. What you can plead before God very aggressively is the promises of God. God, you told me if I would try to fight worry and I would pray... That peace would come. And Lord, that's what I'm doing. I'm not doing it perfectly, but I'm trying to cash in on this promise. Please let peace come. Please let peace come. Guys, I can't tell you the number of times I've been there and the peace eventually comes. And it's tangible. I mean, it's like I can taste it with the taste buds of my heart. And it's sweet. And usually pretty quick after that, I'm sound asleep. So much so that the next morning, a lot of times, my wife, like I said, she can read me. She can see it in my countenance. And she kind of gets her hope. She's like, what happened? I went to bed early. Did you get a phone call from somebody that's going to write a big check and take all our fears away? And I'm like, nope. (laughs) Well, did you just figure out a great strategy? Nope, I got no strategies. Well, then why are you in such a good mood? I got my eyes off myself and I got my eyes back on the King Jesus who's sitting on a throne, and he laughs at calamity, right? Now, there's the high level. Let me break it down to you a little bit practically what happens in that wrestling and prayer. A lot of times what I start doing, I'll start saying something to myself like this. Because, guys, part of what happens when you pray, prayer and meditation ought to be always kind of mingled and mixed together. Does that make sense? So I'm pouring out, I'm venting. Sometimes the Puritans would talk about venting my heart to God. Just pray, God, I'm I'm struggling, I'm worrying, I'm trying to repent, help me, give me grace. I'm praying. But then, did you notice this little phrase in verse 6? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, that's key. So if some of you right now are saying, I've tried this, it doesn't work for me, how'd you do with the thanksgiving piece? Don't leave that out. Listen, every single word of Scripture is God-breathed. It's important. It's there for a reason. You can't just cut it out and think it doesn't matter. So in my praying, when in the moment it doesn't feel like I have anything to be thankful for, I'm like, well, wait a second. I've been on staff over 20 years. I've actually been here before. And you know what? I've never actually ended the year in a deficit. I've come so close. 
but it's like the midnight hour, there's always been enough. And my heart starts to shift from fear to praise and thanksgiving. Again, still don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but when you look back on the past, like, thank you, Jesus. You've been so good. You've been so kind. Who wants to give the testimony of the time that God was unfaithful in your life? Now, I know that all of us could say, I've got a testimony right now where it doesn't feel like God's being faithful in my life. But we said, no, you've got to rewind five years and pick a story from five years ago of when God blew it in your life. If you look back far enough, it's like, mm, no, I don't have one of those. God always comes through. He always comes through. You get your eyes off of your own resources, your own capabilities, your own abilities to figure it out, to solve the problem. You start looking at him. You have a faith sight of him, metaphorically, ruling the universe, laughing at his enemies because he's not worried about anything. And the peace comes over your heart. Thanksgiving, guys. You know, we've all heard the phrase, preach the gospel yourself, which is true and great. Here's my little personal addendum. Preach your own history to yourself. You delivered me that time, God. You delivered me that time. Right? You chose me. You saved me. I mean, I've never missed a meal. I live in 21st century America. It's not perfect. But it's better than 9th century Mongolia or Nepal or something like that. It could be so much worse. What am I worried about? These are first world problems. You preach truth to yourself. So, pour out your heart to God in prayer. And then the promise. And the peace of God, and this is another key phrase, which surpasses all comprehension. Here's part of what that means. It didn't always make sense. Part of what I'm saying to my wife. She's like, why are you in such a good mood? I don't Because God's good. Well, how are we going to get out of this problem? I don't know. In some sense, now listen, there's a right godly manly way that I need to say it's my problem, I'll figure it out. And I do. I mean, if this was a, a husband and marriage talk, you know, the point would be, be a man, lovingly say to your wife, you don't worry about this, I got it. And that, that's a good manhood talk. Maybe we'll do that one later. <laughs> but we're doing the prayer and worry talk right now, and the answer is, I don't got it. This is not on my back, it's on his back. Right? Because, yes, at the human level, it's on my back, I've got to figure it out. But, what a friend we have in Jesus. Amen. Right? He's going to come through. He's going to solve it. He's going to fix it. The only way that I can be half a man is I'm looking at the one true man. He's already solved it. He's already got it fixed. I'm just depending on him. And I might be the vessel, right? I might have to go get a part-time job. But if that's the case, he will give me the resources and ability to figure that out and do it. It's, it's dependence. And it doesn't always have to make sense. And it can be, guys, sometimes it's almost sweeter when it doesn't make sense. I don't know what the Lord's going to do but I trust him, right? I mean, the old saying that almost is kind of cheesy, but it's really beautiful and powerful. When you can't feel his hand, trust his heart. Trust his character. Trust his faithfulness. Trust his track record in your life. It's, uh, 
you know, already talking about marriage a little bit, so we'll talk marriage. When, when my wife, if, if, if I'm in a season where I'm really not worried about money, and it, let's say it's a season where, not like we're filthy rich, but it's like, I got it figured out. I'm looking at the budget. I'm good at math. We have more money coming in than is going out. It may be barely, right? But it's working. I feel like I'm being a good steward. I'm being a good husband. I'm leading the family well. And this will help for context. I grew up in a middle-class family where we, you know, we weren't filthy rich, but we never lacked anything. We had everything we needed, right? My wife grew up poor, broken home, dad in a trailer, mom having the lights turned out, all the kind of, that kind of family. So humanly speaking, it makes sense that she's more prone to worry. She has more life evidence that says, you ought to worry. Now, it's a lie, but Satan's done a really good job planting that lie in her heart. Does that make sense? But in this illustration, this, this is a real illustration too, there are times where I'm on top of it. A lot going on. Got two kids in college now. It's complicated, you know, having to move money around. Feels like we're robbing Peter to pay Paul sometimes. But it's like, I, I can juggle. I got, I've figured it out. But if my wife is starting to kind of panic and worry about money and we're not going to be able to do this and Christmas is coming... You know how I feel in that moment? I can feel disrespected. Because I'd be like, do you trust me? I'm not asking for implicit trust because I'm not God. But part of what I've said to my wife before is I've said, babe, um, my wife was 23 years old when we got married. She is 47 now. She looks younger than me. That's all that matters, okay? Um, so she's been married to me longer than she was not married to me. So in some sense, she's been under my leadership longer than she's been under her parents' leadership. And a couple of times I've kind of lovingly said to her, hey, since you've been married to me, the lights have never been turned out. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a perfect husband, but when are you going to start living by the last half of your life? and quit living by the scarcity mentality the first half of your life. And I, and I rarely say that. When I do say it, I, I try to say it real gently and kindly. And, but do you understand what I'm trying to say there? It's like, babe, I love you, but you really don't have any practical reason in the last 24 years of your life to be worried about money. Now, the best thing I can do is point her to Jesus, but a human level, I'm saying, trust me. I feel a little disrespected when I feel like I am managing the finances pretty well and providing pretty well, and she's worried. I'm also compassionate for her, but I can get a tad bit frustrated, kind of like, you're adding grief to our relationship that we don't need. Now, this is not a marriage course. You see where I'm going with this illustration? How do you think God the Father in heaven feels when we're down here worrying? This puts a little context to when Jesus said things like, he knows how many hairs are on top of your head. One of your hairs can't fall out of your head to the ground and him not know about it, care about it, be in charge of it, ordain it. Look at birds. Birds don't have 401ks. They don't have savings accounts. They don't have storage sheds to keep all their extra stuff in. God makes sure they have enough food. Don't you think God loves you more than he loves a bird? Look at grass. Look at flowers. It's actually beautiful. God has clothed some types of flowers and grass 
with such beauty and they literally are only alive for 24 hours. God likes you more than He likes grass. Part of the sin of worry, guys, is disrespectful to your Father in Heaven. Now, He is such a kind, compassionate Father. He just, He overflows with mercy. He's not a mean, tyrannical Daddy. But if I really want to honor Him, one of the best ways I can honor Him is say, I trust my Daddy. My daddy's got this. Whatever it is, he's got it. And how do I know he's got it? Because my greatest need, if, if listen, if there is anything that you should be worried about or fearful of in life, it's I'm going to go to hell when I die because I deserve to go to hell when I die. And if you're in Christ, God has already fixed that problem. And he fixed it at a mammoth cost to himself. And if he was willing to take on the weight of your sin burden, certainly he is willing and able and has already taken on all these small little burdens we have. We just have to, through prayer and meditation, constantly remind ourselves of that so we can live in that peace. Does that make sense? Because it says, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This only really works for Christians. This is not some magic formula, magic incantation that any person can pray and do. This is for genuine believers that are in Christ and they know they're in Christ and they're praying in Christ's stead, in Christ's place. And their greatest need has obviously already been taken care of because Christ is risen, just as he said. And if he took care of my biggest burden that cost him everything, of course he's going to take care of the smaller burdens. Who am I to worry? Who am I to doubt? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Some of us, because of personality, because of background, we can struggle with worry more than others. I pray when we struggle with worry, we will not feel condemned. I pray that we will feel, I pray that we will taste and see the compassion of God and we wouldn't run from you in shame that we're still struggling with the same old sin we've been struggling with for 20 or 30 years. I pray that like a trusting little child, we would run to our daddy because sometimes we still get scared in the midst of the storm. And we know it's stupid. But we know that there's always open arms with you. Thank you for nailing the arms of Christ open on the cross for us to convince us of your love. Help us to meditate more on your sacrificial love to sustain us and secure us in the storm of temptation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.